So apparently there's a football game today. Have you heard? Maybe you've heard uh, about that, right? And as you can see, there's a little bit of hype uh, around this game. And whether you, <laughs> whether you care about sports or football or anything like that, in general, you cannot deny the, um, the, that this is, the Super Bowl has turned into sort of a, a public spectacle, almost a, a national holiday in our country. Uh, and just so a quick poll, everybody's going to participate in this. No Lutheran head nods here. Like, get into it, okay? I just, just make yourself known. There's no wrong answer, okay? Just by a show of hands and, and hooting. And holler, how many of you are just absolutely pumped for the game? You're going to watch most of it or the whole thing. You're going to a Super Bowl party. You are just ready and jacked up. How many people are excited for the Super Bowl? Okay. How many of you are strictly going to watch for the commercials? Anybody? Okay. That seemed like the same group of people are yelling for every single one. They're not going to go to the bathroom for five and a half hours. Okay. How many of you could not care less about football? Wow, that might be the strongest group so far. I don't know. Uh, maybe your team's not playing and, and you don't care. But hey, it is regardless of where you're at and what your posture is uh, towards the big game, thank God that there's more to life than football. Amen? There's basketball uh, for, for you Cyclone fans today, all right? Uh, my word. I could say a lot of things, but I'll just... Be humble, because that's what the Bible tells me to do, uh, and say, good, good win. It was a very good win uh, against the evildoer Jayhawks, uh, the evil people down there in Lawrence. It's always good to win one down there. There's so much more to this weekend than football to a big game, especially around here. About, I don't know, maybe uh, eight or nine years ago, uh, we just kind of had this idea around hope that Maybe this weekend can be more than about a football game, and maybe it can be bigger than that. And so we came up with it, just changed the name a little bit from Super Bowl to Soup or Bowl, and we've been doing this food drive, and we discovered that food pantries just get inundated with food uh, from about Thanksgiving to Christmas, and then this time of year, they start to run a little bit low. So we're like, well, why not make that a, a thing that we do every single year? And so I think for a lot of you, at least for me now, when I hear Super Bowl, I actually think about the food drive uh, instead of the game. I guess maybe that's a good thing. But uh, thank you for, for, for blessing uh, our community in that way. And I guarantee we've done this the last three or four years. The goal is to fill every food pantry in central Iowa because that's what we do. That's what it means to be the church. Amen? That's why we do what we do. Absolutely. By the way, you can clap anytime you want in this service. I'm just giving you full permission to do that. You don't have to feel bad uh, about that at all. There's a lot more going on. Uh, next service, we have uh, our preschoolers coming in. If you didn't hear in the opening video, we've got Hope Downtown Preschool that's been going on almost for a full year now. Uh, hard to believe they're about three quarters of the way through the year. And so the cuteness level will go way up uh, this weekend as well as the kiddos sing. We love kids uh, around here. And I was thinking about it this week, a lot of you obviously aren't around during the week, just here on the weekends, and so we, on staff, we get kind of an up-close picture of kids everywhere, and because this building is wide open, that's just the way it was designed, we always see the kids, and we always hear the kids, whatever they're doing, uh, and it is a great reminder uh, to us uh, of all the amazing things that are happening around here, but particularly with these kids, of the many benefits of the preschool, it is a daily reminder of Jesus' heart for kids, which is really hard to miss if you start looking at scripture. There's this incredible story in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus is teaching, I mean, doing what he does. He's God, and he's a great, the greatest teacher of all time, and people start bringing up kids to Jesus. And, and you know kids, they're, um, I can say this because we have to, they're a little, 
disruptive at times. They don't always follow the rules or the instructions. They can be sticky in different ways, and I'm guessing just kind of interfering probably with what Jesus was doing, so much so that Jesus' own disciples come up and they start shooing the kids away and saying, ah, guys, get out of here. This is Jesus. He's got better things to do. And then it says Jesus became indignant, which that word, if you kind of get back to the roots of it, he has this deep passion inside. And then Jesus says this, and let's read it together uh, from verse 14. Let's read it nice and loud. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So why would Jesus lift up kids, like kids, right? They don't always listen. They don't always behave. They, they don't know everything. They don't have it all figured out. Why would Jesus lift up kids as the, the example of what it means to follow him and to live in the kingdom? Well, you go to the next verse, and Jesus said to them, he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. There's something about a way that children receive the message so freely and openly with no reservations and no assumptions and no walls. Jesus knows the heart of kids. And if you watch them closely, if you can peel back through the layers of, of the, the misbehavior sometimes and getting annoying or frustrating or interfering or anything like that, kids listen and receive so well, and especially when you least expect it. Some of you uh, may know we, we do a big thing every summer called Vacation Bible School, and it's hard to think about that now, but it's, it'll be here before we know it. But last year for VBS, our three-year-old son Caleb invited his, uh, his, a neighbor uh, friend that I don't know if they go to church. I don't know if they believe in Jesus or not, but Jesus, uh, Caleb wanted to invite him. And so he invited him, and uh, they went, and I was driving him home one night for VBS. And we never know if we're like really getting through to the kids or what they're hearing, and you know, we're just just over and over every day of just reminding them of how much God loves them and their unconditional love and just hoping that it, it, it soaks in, that they remember it. And we were driving home one day and trying to have a conversation. I, I turned around, they were both sitting in their car seats in the back and they're all sweaty and they got glue and face paint crusted to their body and stickers all over and they're exhausted because they've been dancing the whole night. And I said, buddy, I said, Caleb, to my son, I said, does God love you no matter what? And he goes, yep. Yep, like he just came right out and said it. And then I looked at the other boy, his friend. Um, we'll just call him Bobby. Uh, that, that's his first name that came to mind, okay? And I said, Bobby, and I, I have no idea what he believes. I don't know if he's ever been to church before. I don't know. And I said, does, does God love you no matter what? And he kind of thought about it for a second, and he goes, yeah, yeah, he does. And I will never forget that of like that, that innocence of just like receiving it so freely and openly. And I wonder if I were to turn around and look at all of you in the back seat and say, do you know that God loves you no matter what? Like, what, what, not just does God love the world, does God love everybody, but, but you know, he's wildly passionately in love with you this morning. No matter what you've done or where you've been or what's going on currently, what happened this week or what happened this morning, that doesn't change the way that he feels about you. And maybe some of you just need to hear that. <laughs> today, that there's a God who loves you, who's saying, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm, I'm asking you to have the heart of a child. I'm asking you to have a, a posture that's open, that's receptive to what God wants to do in your life. There's, if you think about it, there's a couple different ways to go through life. One is to have kind of a childlike faith, and the other one, somewhere along the line, we lose that. One is just to have an openness to God. Everybody just take your hands like this and just open them up 
like this. Doesn't this just feel good to have them open? Sometimes I don't know if you're looking around during, during worship and, and seeing what other people are doing, but you look around and some people are really into it. You know, they're getting ready for the Super Bowl. They got the touchdown thing going on or you wonder what they're doing. Other people are just more sideways and they have their hand. You ever wonder what people are doing, these kind of weird Christians around you? Not you, but just the people around you. Do, do, you, ever, do you ever wonder what they're doing? They're just saying, I want to be open. It's just an outward expression of an inward reality of what they want to do. And they're just saying, God, I want to be open to you. It just feels good. God, God, I'm open, and maybe that's you today. Maybe that's your posture. God, I'm, I'm open to you. I don't have it all figured out, but, but I'm at least open. I'm willing to learn. I'm, I'm growing. I know there's things that I need to grow in. Even, even those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, been a part of the church for a long time, are you still open to God blowing your mind? Are you still open to God doing miracles? When you walk in here on a Sunday morning, are you open to God just showing up? You're like, I never expected that. Are you open to that's one way to live life. The other way is to live close. Everybody just take your fists or just at least one of them and just clinch them as tightly as you can, right? And just hold them like that for a while. See how that feels. The other way to live is closed. To say, you know what? Even as Christians, to say, you know what? God, I'm good. I'm doing really good. I'm a really good person. I'm pretty religious. I come to worship on a regular basis, you know, but I've got it. It's kind of that been there, done that attitude. I don't have anything else to learn. I'm good. I'm fine. Maybe the most dangerous words we could say, I'm fine. Because chances are you're not, and that's okay. But to live a life like this, it's exhausting. You can feel everybody just kind of release that and open up your hands. Doesn't that feel good? There's two different ways to live open or closed. Scripture points to this a lot. It reminds me of a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, let's hop over there really quick. Uh, If you need one, again, there's ones in the back, and the ushers have them. Grab one on the way out. Those are for you to keep. But Luke, chapter 18, Jesus is doing a teaching, and it's a very poignant teaching. It even says, starting in verse 9 in chapter 18, Jesus says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness. (laughs) In other words, to some who were living life Closed-fisted, closed-hearted. To some who are confident that they're fine, that they're good, that they don't have anything to learn, that they've been there, that they've done that, Jesus is speaking to them. Jesus told this parable, this story, so verse 10 of chapter 18. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the background of that story, the Pharisees, of course, were the religious leaders of the day. They were the the leaders in the synagogue. They obeyed all the laws. I mean, they were about as religious and devout as you could get. So you have the Pharisees, and contrasting that, Jesus is putting a tax collector. Now, some of you are saying, oh, it's just like an IRS agent, right? Kind of a guy with a briefcase and a suit and everything like that. In Jesus' day, people hated tax collectors. They were were the lowest of the low. They were were scum. They were the outcasts. They were way down there on the totem pole, the the, the social ladder. People could not stand tax collectors because they lied and they cheated people out of their money. They have a lot to confess. They have a lot to repent for. And so on one side of the, I would imagine, on the the temple porch is you have the Pharisee, and then on the other side you have the tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. If you want to get God's attention, well, one way or another, I just don't start your prayer ever like that. But God, I thank you that I am not like other people, you know, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like 
in the middle of his prayer, has the audacity to look down, you can imagine, down his nose, even like this tax collector. And then he starts boasting about all the great things that he's done. Says, God, look at me. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I brought 19 bags for the Super Bowl food drive. I mean, I am rocking it. That was not in the, the passage here, but that's his heart. God, look at me, all this performing that I've done for you. Contrast that, verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but it says he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, that's it. That's, what if your entire prayer was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? And leave it at that. How many of you, when you get an argument with your spouse or somebody else, say, I'm sorry, but, and then you add something onto it? But if you could just do that, if you could just change, then I wouldn't have to apologize, right? We like to add things on to our confession, to our saying, sorry. He didn't say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, but I know that I'm, I'm not too bad of a sinner because compared to other people, you know, I, I'm just attacked. I'm not that bad, but he just says, God, have mercy on me. Two men, two completely different ways of relating to God. One heart wide open and the other closed off. But it's not what you think. So watch how the story ends. Verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, keep keep in mind who Jesus is talking to. He's probably talking to a bunch of Pharisees. He's probably talking to a bunch of religious people that think they are better than other people. Talk about sticking it to the man, right? Jesus is doing it Bible style here, okay? Verse 14, I said, I tell you that this man, the non-religious one, the one who probably wouldn't fit in a lot of churches, this guy, it's him rather than the other who went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. Not exhausted, exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humble. Just a little, little advice for you Cyclone fans today. I'm just throwing that in there, okay? Just nice how that tied in. Two men, two completely different postures towards God. What's your posture today? I'm not talking about your physical posture. I'm talking about your, your openness of your heart to the things of God. I could really care less what you think about the Super Bowl or the football game. There is way bigger things to talk about than football. Things are going to last much longer, things that are way more of a priority. What's your posture towards the God who created you? We all have different postures, and sometimes they're outward expressions, but I'm more interested in what's going on inside. It makes me think of an experience I had uh, last year. Some of you know that from time to time I'll go to different uh, campuses or colleges here in town and they have uh, in their religion studies, they bring in different pastors and I get to be a guest speaker uh, sometimes. And so I was a guest speaker for this class that was kind of going through the different denominations. And so I was the token Lutheran guy. And so to look like Martin Luther, I just shaved a big hole on the top of my head and I wore a brown robe and I walked. No, I didn't do that. But I was the guest speaker, and I walked in, and what shocked me was the, 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 the attitudes and, and the posture of these college students. I walk in, there's about 25 college students in this room, and it looked like death warmed over. I'm not, I'm not picking on college students here, but it looked like they just didn't even want to be there. I mean, they were just slouched over, and some were asleep, and some were hanging off the side of their chair and leaning on their arm or things like that. I'm just like, wow, you're paying for this, or your parents are, one of the two, right, like, 
chipper, like, wake up, you know? And it is like the, the, the posture of their, it was, it was on the inside, the posture of their heart, they just weren't in it. And it got me thinking about, like, something shifts over time. Contrast that with the preschool kids that I see get dropped off here uh, during the week. These kids are literally, like, they jump, they, they're on a bus, they, parents do a little drive-by here, and then the, the, the kids just, like, jump out of their parents' cars. They're just like, wow, I'm so excited for school, and their backpacker bouncing, and they literally run into their classroom, and they're saying hi to all their friends, and hi, Pastor John, ah, school, ah, and they're just so excited. You can only imagine the shifts that take place. I hear them because our walls are just wide open here, so I, there's a classroom right now next to my office, and I hear them all the time, and they take attendance, and they say, it's little Johnny. We already use Bobby, so we'll use little Johnny. Like, little Johnny's like, I'm here! I'm here! I'm so excited to learn, and then I'm like, something shifts, because I would imagine over time, you skip ahead to fourth or fifth grade, it's like little Johnny, I'm here, 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 and their posture shifts a little bit more, and then you get to junior high, it's like you're taking attendance. Johnny, here, you know, because my voice is changing, right? Here, right? And then you get to high school and it's like, little Johnny, yo. And then you get to college and for some of those early morning classes, they take an attendance, Johnny, where's Johnny? There's no Johnny. He didn't even show up, right? The posture changes over time. Something shifts in our heart and I think the same is true of our faith. Over time, even as adults, as people that are following Jesus, we develop this posture towards life and, more importantly, a posture towards God. That we're either on this side of the temple porch or on this side. We're either like the Pharisee or we're like the tax collector. We're like the preschool kid with the childlike faith that's wide open to God or we're like the college kid not painting a stereotype of my experience in that moment of like, they are closed off. Like, why are they here? We have different postures towards life, if you think about it. We can be wide open, we can be closed off, and we've talked about those. God, I'm fine, I'm, I'm doing well, but I'll put another posture up there, just because it happens from time to time. There's always a few students who absolutely just fall asleep. And I know that never happens around here, because, right, we wouldn't want to bore you with the gospel, right? But from time to time, that happens, and you fall asleep. And in the same way, life can lull us to sleep. Life has a way of kind of lulling us into complacency or an apathy or a, a passiveness when it comes to faith. And we, yeah, we show up for worship and we're here, but you're not really awake. It's more like you're just sort of sleepwalking your way through life. Are you getting what you want out of life these days? Would you say that you're completely satisfied with where your heart is? Are you, are you completely filled up? Are you full? Are you, are you wide awake? Or are you closed or asleep? Wherever you're at, I've got really, really good news. God wants to give you your heart back. But if we're honest, we're not there. We're not all where we want to be. First, for some of us, if we're honest, you're right here. Your posture towards life, your posture towards God is a little bit more closed off. And, and these are all inward things because we're really good at hiding it. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But if we're honest, some of you are a little bit more closed off these days. 
First off, that Jesus says the problem with the Pharisee in the story, according to Jesus, wasn't that he was some terrible person. I don't want you to get the wrong idea there. He'd just forgotten the power of grace. <laughs> he'd forgotten to, to, say that you, to say you don't need God, to live a closed-off life is to say, I don't need the breath that God filled my lungs with this morning, that I'm breathing right now. Have you forgotten how amazing grace is? And so we hide. And for the, the, the Pharisee, it was him, it was hiding behind his pride. A pride that says, I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm, I'm doing just fine on my own, or so we tell ourselves. You see, when we live a life like this, everybody clench your fists again. When we live a life like that, it's really easy to hide because we don't know what's truly on your heart. When we hide, it's, it's easy to become blind to the things in our lives that need to change, even if everybody else can see them except us. <laughs> Scripture talks about that when we start judging others, it's like we, we point out the speck in somebody else's eye, like a little speck of wood dust. And if we're doing all that all the time and never addressing us, it's like we have a giant two-by-four, like a huge plank coming out of our eye going, you've got a speck of dust! Oh, sorry, Right? And in the same way, you could use the analogy of a nail when we avoid the things that are right there in front of us. So take a comical look at the ways that we deny the truth of what's really going on and what's really wrong with us. Let's take a look. It's not about the nail. How many of you have had a conversation like that in your house, right? You don't have to answer. It's okay. I, I, I know, right? That happened, and I'm not just picking on the ladies, right? Guys, we got plenty of nails sticking out of our foreheads too, right? It goes both ways, right? The truth is we all have planks in our eyes from time. We all have things that we can't see that everybody else can see. And you look at that and go, geez, lady, just figure it out, right? We will never be able to heal a broken, hurting world until we realize that we need healing as well. The problem with the world starts with me. And we've been talking this whole series about life together, about community, and man, community is only going to be as healthy as the individual members. As we take a, a hard look inside, and maybe it's not the, a nail, but when you live the closed-off life, it's the sin, it's the guilt, it's the shame, it's the things that we try so hard to cover up before a God who, guess what, <laughs> can already see it all. Even the things that you hide and the things you cover up and the fears and the insecurities that you have, he already sees it. And when we experience Christian community, we can experience that same power of the ability to be real. I don't ever want to preach at you and not say, well, this is something real for me. When I preach, I, my, my prayer, my hope is that always I'm just sharing, I'm just being real. <laughs> I'm just being honest and say, I'm walking through this too. That's why I'm talking about it, because I'm preaching to myself. So a few weeks ago, I was meeting with this group of guys. I meet with them every week. There's three of us guys that meet just for encouragement and, and to be real and honest and hopefully talk about the nails that are sticking out of our forehead and, and the, the ways that we want to stay open and available to God. And we had had a discussion about wanting to pursue our wives and, and treat them as the, the women of God that they are and to love them sacrificially as Christ would love the church. And we've been having this conversation for weeks. And so we started asking some questions. And one of my buddies said, John, how's, how's pursuing? your wife going and, and loving her sacrificially. And <laughs> I said, 
uh, you know, um, uh, you know, it's, um, it's going really well, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're just kind of in this season of like discovering, you know, kind of what life is all about, kind of learning a new way of life, and we're, um, we're just, you know, kind of learning how to love each other, praying about each other's needs and what that could, I'm just going total Christianese language on them. Like, I am just blowing smoke, and they know it, and I go on like this for a couple minutes. You know, like, oh, you know, we're doing just fine, we're good, you know, we got, we got a plan, you know, we don't really need any uh, new ideas, guys, you know, I, I'm good. It's like I got a big old nail sticking right out of my forehead, and they know it until my other friend goes, John... I won't tell you what he said, but he said, you're really struggling, aren't you? And in that moment, and in moments like that that happen every day and every week when you are a part of Christian community, you have the opportunity to live like this or to live like this. I'm not talking about your hand, I'm talking about your heart, the thing that matters most. And in that moment, I have an opportunity if I'm going to be open or if I'm going to remain closed. And what came out of my mouth was actually rather surprising. I said, guys, I have lost the ability to fake it with you guys. I have lost the ability to wear the mask because you can see right through it. And they looked at each other and they looked at me and they said, good, because they care more about me becoming like Jesus than they care about possibly offending me or challenging. Do you have people like that in your life that will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Or do your friendships go about an inch deep? Ah, we get together and we hang out. Great. True friends love each other so much that they'll call each other out on those things. I love you too much to see Jesus leave you the same. And I want to challenge you to that. They said, good, and it's good because the closed-off life is exhausting. It's a, you just spin around and around. It takes a lot of work to keep those walls up. And what Jesus is saying to me, I felt like in that moment, and what he's saying to you this morning is, hey, guys, you can drop the tough guy thing. You can drop the strong, independent man thing. Ladies, in the same way, you can drop it. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can drop the strong, independent woman thing, and there's nothing wrong with those things, either as a man or a woman, unless it's a cover-up. Unless you're using that mask and that image that you're projecting to the world to cover up what's really going on inside. Do you really know who you are? Or are you just living into the expectations of others and what you want to project to the world rather than what's really going on inside? What if you didn't have to hold on to that regret from the past? What if you didn't have to put on the mask when you come to worship and be a churchy person? What if you could be open? Scripture puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9. through 9. Let's read it nice and loud together on the screen. Some of you are going to recognize this if you grew up in a traditional church or if you grew up Lutheran. This is a part of the communion uh, liturgy every single week that you would do. And so it's communion Sunday, so we get to do it today. Let's read it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. The good news is that you don't have to stay closed off. The good news is you don't have to stay here, but Jesus offers us this beautiful remedy called confession, and then he doesn't leave us there, a forgiveness. Forgiveness is right where you fell today, even if that was on the way to church. (laughs) Forgiveness is right where you screwed up, right where you messed up, right in your insufficiencies and your insecurities. We, we've been ta- the reason this is so important when it comes to community, we've been in this series called Life Together. We've been discovering community and, and how everybody's longing for deeper relationships. I think if we went around the room today, all of you would say, yeah, I'm still looking for that deeper community for the relationships. And some of you have groups like that within the bigger church, smaller groups. That's why they're so important. We've been talking about barriers that get in the way of true community, of of people's schedules are so busy and full and we jam-pack them, or uh, learning to work through conflict with all the weird people in church, not you, but all the other weird people that that you get in groups with and things like that, working through these barriers to community. But you don't want to know what I believe Scripture says might be the biggest barrier to true community and authentic relationships staying close. The inability to confess. Confession isn't something that you go and you do in a booth with a priest. That's fine. That's one way of doing it. But we believe that we have a direct access to Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life. And wherever you are and whatever is going on in your life, you can stop right there and then on the spot and come real and honest before a God that knows you better than anybody else. That might be the biggest barrier for some of us. Our struggle is real. But when people get real with each other, the reason this is so important is because then we create a safe place for imperfect people. That's why confession is so important, not just for us before God, but for community as well. We create a safe place to be imperfect, which is all of us. Which is why James chapter 5, verse 16 says, confess your faults to each other so that you may be healed. Confess them not just to God, but if you... Have you ever considered just like confessing to somebody else? Try it sometime. I'm not saying, don't, you don't need to stand up here in front of the whole church and say, hey, this is what I did last Friday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding a few trusted people that know you and love you that you can be real and honest with. One of the books we've been using as a guide through this series is called Life Together uh, by a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, one of the, I love one of the greatest names uh, ever. Don't be deceived by the picture. He's really a nice guy. He's not going to beat you up. But he was a part of the Nazi resistance uh, and, and fought against Hitler's Nazi regime. He was a Lutheran pastor. Like this guy was just owning it. Got executed for standing up for what he be- believed in, that everybody should be treated the same. And I love what he says in this book, Life Together, about the ability to confess and be real. He says, you can hide nothing from God. Do you know that? You can hide it from everybody else, but you can't hide it from God. The mask you wear will do you no good. You don't have to go on lying to yourself as if you were without sin. I love this last line. You can dare to be a sinner. Some of you are like, what if somebody finds out that I am? Shock, horror. We all are, right? I love that line. You can dare to be a sinner. Now Bonhoeffer gets kind of wordy and goes deep sometimes, but Bonhoeffer, for the, the normal person like you and I, basically what he's saying is, you got to get over yourself. <laughs> That's where freedom comes from. That's where joy comes from. You got to get over yourself. And if we all get over ourselves in community, we'll realize, wait a minute, 
because everybody has nothing to hide. I don't have anything to hide, and we're all being real. And I realize, wait a minute, we're all a mess. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are a mess. Just remind him of that this morning. You are a mess. Oh, it's so freeing. Turn to the person on the other side of you. Tell them they're a mess too. Oh, it's so good. It's so life-giving. It's so freeing, right? Some of you spouses are like, I'll tell you more about that later. You can keep that conversation going, right? Here's the thing. Are you hurting today? Are you lonely? Are you struggling? Are you worn out from life? The world says to you, close up, isolate. You probably shouldn't come to worship for a while. Because heaven forbid somebody find out you're struggling. Heaven forbid somebody found out you had an argument with your spouse last night or, in the church, or on the way to church or in the church parking lot. And the reason I say that is because been there, done that, right? We're a mess, but Jesus doesn't leave us like that. But if we can start there, it completely frees us up. Instead, when the world says pull back, isolate, hide, leave the church, that's actually when we need the body of Christ the most. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. For some of you, your posture is closed off. But for some of us, we're just asleep. Some of you are like, no, I'm wide awake, John. We all get that way. We all get that way sometimes. There's a few students in a class that are always checked out or simply maybe think about it, they've just sort of put it on cruise control. You could say that sometimes we sleepwalk through life. And scripture says we can have the exact same posture towards our faith. It's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, he writes this. He says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. If he's saying wake up, that must mean that there's somebody asleep. And who's asleep? If he's writing the book of Ephesians, it's to the church in Ephesus. And if he's writing to the church, he's writing to who? Christians. The church not heathens, not people that don't believe, not people, those people, they need to wake up from their slumber. He's talking to us. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now the problem here, you got to know, isn't physical sleep. Paul says we can be spiritually asleep as well. We may look like we're wide awake, but we're missing the important things in life that are right in front of us. I got a very vivid picture of this about a month ago. How many of you have seen the new Star Wars film that came out uh, over Christmas? Hey, be proud of that. Okay, seven of you. So there's this film series that takes place in outer space, right? You go and watch them. They're good. So my wife and I have been looking forward to this for a long time, but with two young kids, parents, as you know, it's hard to get out and have a date night once in a while, and so we finally have an opportunity, and it's like, nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, this is the time we start winding down and getting ready for bed. So we're like loading up on caffeine and you know, it's, it's like the 940 showing or something like that. And we're going and we're getting all this caffeine. And I'm thinking the people at the, the, the um, snack bar are looking at us kind of funny. Like, you do know how late it is. Like, I don't care. I need, I, I've been waiting for this for a long time. And we go, and we're, we're there, and, and uh, we get settled in, and the theater's pretty packed. I'm like, oh, everybody's so excited for this. It's great. And we get about halfway through the movie, really when the plot is thickening and it's getting to the good part, and all of a sudden, about four or five rows behind us, I hear, I've always wanted to do that in the microphone just to see how it sounds. Just... Some of you live with this at home, I mean, this is like a locomotive leaving the station again and again, and there's that lull in between, like, oh, thank God it's done. 
you know, just again and again. I'm like, oh, are you serious, right? And like my first reaction is like, that is a really expensive nap, dude. That's a $12 nap, right? There's cheaper ways to take a nap. And my second thought was, it took everything in me not to get up from my, like, this is the best part, right? We're getting towards the end of the movie. It took everything inside me not to go and walk up to him. And I didn't do this, but just like grab him by the shoulders and say, dude, you are missing it. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and watch Star Wars, and Christ will shine on you, or something like that. Wake up, O sleeper. You're missing it. You're missing the most important thing. As a reminder here, Paul is writing to us. Why? Because whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, and you've been in church every single week of your life, or you've been following Jesus and been a Christian for 40 days or 40 minutes, We can slip into this way of doing faith that is passive, that is apathetic, that is like we're sleepwalking through life, like we're going through the motions. And it's really subtle because it's not like this, like, oh, I'm either open or closed. This one's sneaky. Because life has a way of lulling us into complacency. And some of you are there this morning, and you know it. You know there's something more. You're the guy at Star Wars that's sleeping through the whole thing, and you're missing it. You're missing it. You're packing your schedule so tight. You're shuttling your kids around. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're so busy and you're running them ragged because you're looking around and trying to keep up with what everybody else in your generation and all the other people are doing. You're so tethered to your work that you think, if I just get a few more hours in and work more and more and more, then it'll fill up my soul. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is they can't fill up your soul and they're not going to last forever. Don't miss the most important thing. You're sitting not in front of Star Wars, but in front of the opportunity that you have to have a living, daily relationship with the God of the universe. And the really good news today is if you're sleeping, if you've been lulled into complacency and apathy when it comes to your faith, Jesus says, I want to wake you up. You can become fully awake. Jesus says, I'm really good at that. A little earlier in the book of Ephesians, right before wake up, O sleeper, Paul writes this in chapter 2. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. The message of the gospel this morning is that through his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated your sin and your death and the things that could keep you asleep forever, the things that could keep you closed off or isolated today. And because of it, those of us who put our faith and our trust in him get to experience what it means to be fully alive, not just forever in heaven someday, but right here, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Are you wide awake today? Are you wide awake? What's your posture towards God? I love that verse. It's like when Jesus went went to hell and back for us and went destroyed death and when he died and rose again it's like scripture says it's like we were with him when he dies we died to our old self and when he rises we rise it's like Jesus literally I get the image of him like putting us on his back and when he wakes up we woke up and when we rise when he rises we rise when he has the victory we have the victory as well I saw this illustrated so beautifully a couple months ago. We don't watch a lot of TV in our house. We just don't have time. But we watch a few shows from time to time. And this scene just grabbed me, and it made me think of that verse right there. My wife has 
conned me into watching this show called This Is Us. Anybody watching this show? Okay. If your parents get a box of Kleenexes. I was just like this tough bachelor guy before I got married and then got married and had kids, and I am an emotional wreck at movies and TV shows. Parents, are you with me in that? I am a softie, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I love this show, and now we watch it a lot. And there's this one scene where Jack, the father, is with, they've adopted this son, Randall, and they're taking karate lessons together, they're taekwondo lessons together, and you watch this scene, and him and Randall are in this class together, and Randall discovers just how much his father loves him, and more importantly, what it looks like to be raised up by a dad that loves you. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms through Jesus Christ. You have a Savior that literally and every, once upon a time did and every single day puts you on his back and he lifts us up again and again, not as a past tense thing, but as a present tense thing. You are on his back today and he will carry you just as he always has and lift you up from wherever you fell, out of your sin and out of your disappointments and out of your shame and out of your guilt and out of your apathy and sleepwalking through life. And he can handle anything that you're going through, anything that you're trying to hide, anything that you've kept behind the mask, he can handle it. And just like the dad in the story, as you're on his back, the world would say, stop. And God says, I'm never gonna stop. I'm the strongest father you'll ever meet. I'm never going to stop. Scripture says I'm not going to go tired or weary. And, and Jesus says, because I went and died and rose again, when I rise, you rise. When I wake up, you wake up and you can start to live. Jesus says, you don't have to be so strong today. Let me put you on my back and let me carry you. If anything in your heart today says, I want that, I want to be alive. I can show you where that happens, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're open, if your posture is open today, Jesus says, I want to fill you up with my love. If you're closed off, Jesus says, I want to set you free to be real and honest and experience the gift of confession and forgiveness. And if you are asleep today, Jesus says, wake up, O sleeper and start experiencing life the way it was meant to be lived in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want that today, if there's anything in your heart that's just tugging at that, saying, I want that, when we're done today after communion, come on up and we'd love to pray with you, but a great place to start is the bread and the wine. This tangible example that we have, Jesus says, this is how much I love you. And that's why we're gonna experience, we're gonna start with Holy Communion today. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts.